You're listening to the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Exhibit F. Hello, 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 Peter Crouch. Hello, 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 Richard James. <laughs> How are you? I'm very well. How are you, sir? Yeah, well, you know, so-so. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? But one day is much the same at the moment. It's Exhibit F. What is that in numbers? I've no idea. What, four, five, six? I think we're number six, aren't we? Number six, that's six months gone already. I know, incredible. In the click of a finger. But anyway, hope you're all uh, safe and well at home and thank you for joining us for the latest Bowman of the Yard podcast. Well, what's this all about? Well, it's really all about the Bowman of the Yard series of books and short stories which I have written and that you can find at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk. It's an opportunity to um, join in the fun, uh, send in some questions and comments, uh, post on Facebook and uh, let me know what you think about the books and so on. And basically have a bit of a chinwag for half an hour or so. It's about right, isn't it, Peter? I'd say so. Now, if you look just below the uh, portmanteau there by the sash window, Peter, if you reach, make a long arm, you'll find in a rather nice leather-bound volume uh, an itinerary of what's coming up in today's podcast. Oh, I'm just stretching across to get it, and I can see that we have the usual treasure trove of, of items. We've got hot-off-the-press news. Oh, yes. We've got letters to the yard. Mm-hmm. And we have another of our authors locked away in the cells at Bow Street. This week it's Tim Walker. Oh, yes, yes. And of course, stay tuned for the sixth part of the Smithfield murder. That's right, yes. I always forget to mention this at the end of the podcast, but if you hang on when we're all uh, said and done, you'll hear me narrate this month the sixth part of the Smithfield murder. So if I don't mention it again, be sure to hang on after the music at the end uh, to hear the latest thrilling instalment. Am I I allowed to say thrilling, do you think, Peter? Oh, most definitely. Great. Exciting and thrilling. Excellent. Good. And uh, in the meantime, you can get in touch with us at podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk. Tell us what you've been up to. Tell us what you've been reading. Have you been reading any Bowman? What do you think of the latest short story, The Chiswick Robbery, that was released last month? Do let me know. And also, head on over to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash bowmanoftheyard, and join in the fun there. Now, I think it's about time, Peter, that we had some news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Now, we do like a bit of news, don't we, Peter? Oh, we love a bit of news. Because it gives us the feeling that something's actually happening, doesn't it? Something new. First of all, uh, I know there are lots of fans out there of the uh, short stories, which, of course, you can pick up for free. Do you know how they do that, Peter? No, how do they do that, Richard? Just subscribe to my newsletter. I won't spam you, but what I will do is send you a link to the so far six short stories from Bowman's Casebook that you can read and download for free. Now, short stories are set around and between the novels. So you can read the novels without the short stories, you can read the short stories without the novels, but together they make up a greater picture, a bigger story if you like. So all the short stories, or rather the first four so far, have now been collected in a new volume and released by Sharp Books under the collective title City of Death, which I quite like. Has a natty ring to it, doesn't it? Uh, now, they'll always be free to subscribe, of course, but you can get the first four now. So that's The Smithfield Murder, The Hackney Poisoning, it's been renamed, and perhaps we'll talk about that in a moment, and The Hampstead Garrotting and The Hoban Strangler, all in one volume called City of Death. Now, 
I took the liberty of changing the name of the workhouse poisoning to the Hackney poisoning um, to mark the release of this collected volume because I felt City of Death was a better umbrella title for them all and of course the workhouse poisoning is the only one of the short stories so far not to have a part of London in its title. Ah, clever. Yes, indeed. So I thought, okay, well if I make it the Hackney poisoning, which is where it's set, then it all makes sense. So uh, again, head on over to bowmanoftheyard.co.uk and uh, you can pick up your copy uh, either as an ebook or shortly a paperback of City of Death. Also, how do you fancy a little bonus adventure for Inspector Bowman? Oh, we love a bonus. Well, you're in luck because coming shortly uh, will be a brand new anthology of Victorian tales. Uh, again, this is uh, produced by Sharp Books and the Historical Writers Association, including one from me, a bonus Bowman adventure called Last Orders. Intriguing. For Bowman purists this will be set almost immediately after the smithfield murder so it's at the very beginning of bowman's year you can find that along with many other fantastic tales in the forthcoming anthology and there'll be hopefully more news on that in the next podcast and finally for now i would love to know your thoughts about whether you would like to hear some bowman audiobooks the novels or the short stories would you be interested in being able to purchase them for your ears do you listen to audiobooks peter i do i mean right from a young boy i had uh, cassette tapes and audio stories yeah uh, and i still love listening to the radio and to various plays that are released yeah. uh, in the audio version and just love it yeah i do a lot of commuting so I find it really good for uh, listening to plays and things. Yeah, exactly. So do let me know, listeners at home, if you would fancy hearing the novels uh, in audiobook form, send in your comments to podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk. And if there's enough demand, well, Peter, I might lock myself away in my sound booth and uh, record them. Fabulous. Letters to the Yard. I saw a rather natty little hansom cab draw up earlier and the driver hopped off the seat and lugged out a whole sack of mail for us, Peter. Uh, all sent in, of course, to podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk or left on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bowmanoftheyard. So, Peter, what do you have there? Well, in the postbag, I have a letter from Rebecca Andrews and she says, Loving these new covers. They're so atmospheric. I've only got the e-books so far, but might have to look out for these. Ah, uh, yeah. So, uh, as Sharp uh, Books re-released the novels just a few weeks ago, they obviously gave them a smart new look and uh, something of a, re- a running theme throughout the, uh, the covers so far. Uh, covers are important, aren't they? It's interesting because, uh, I mean, what do you look for in a cover, Peter? What do you say? What grabs your attention if you go into a bookstore? Well, I, I suppose it's got to stand out from the rest, isn't it? It's got to be something, yeah. maybe something uh, that, that's dramatic or, or a colour, perhaps, that grabs your attention. Yeah. You know, you're not necessarily always going to be in a bookshop. Sometimes if it's through social media that you're seeing some of these covers. Yeah, that's right. And what you have to remember, I suppose, is a lot of people only see these covers as thumbnails on Amazon. Yes these days so at a glance you've got to be able to tell what sort of book it is uh, even something about where it's set and what you might expect if you were to buy it it's something to entice you to look a bit further 
maybe have a look at the blurb and then obviously hopefully buy a copy. Uh, so yes, thanks for that Rebecca, the covers are always important and I'm glad you're enjoying them. Uh, now I have one here from Paul Rice who says, Richard, well, <laughs> now this is referring to our uh, series of adverts from our sponsors that we run every week. He says, um, where can I get a jar of sanitised tapeworms <laughs> as advertised on your podcast? Uh, they sound amazing and just the thing I need to get rid of this lockdown pot belly. Uh, I like the fact that they're easy to swallow. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that, Paul. Yeah, all the adverts are authentic. Uh, there'll be more coming up a little later on, of course, so do uh, keep listening to that. Uh, and also, a bit of news that we'll talk about later um, about those adverts, because I think they might deserve a bit of a wider audience, but we'll come back to that. Uh, who's there, Peter? We've got Ray Oxlade. He says, Hi, Richard and Peter. Loving the podcast and, of course, the books. I'm a huge fan of, of a book series like this, where you get to invest in the characters as they evolve and develop with each novel. My question, and the answer may be hinted as when you were discussing the recent repackaging of the books, when revisiting one of your books, or indeed reading through an audio version, do you ever think, A, what on earth was I thinking when I wrote that? How did I allow that to be edit? <laughs> and or B, well, that truly was a moment of inspiration. Did I really come up with something that good? Many thanks. Well, Richard? How funny. There's a fantastic phrase, cognitive dissonance. Do you know that, Peter? Not heard that one. It's the possibility of holding two opposing thoughts at the same time. And uh, that's the kind of weird feeling I get whenever I read back some of my books or listen to the recording of the Smithfield murder and so on. Obviously, The Head in the Ice now I wrote oh, over a year and a half ago, it was completed. So in many ways, that does feel like someone else wrote it. And I can kind of go back to it dispassionately and read it almost from a distance and feel not connected to it. And that really helps me to judge the book on its own merits. I'm not too close to it anymore. And you're right, when Sharp Books uh, picked up the books for publishing uh, earlier this year, it did give me an opportunity just to tidy up a few little facts. For example, in The Head in the Ice, there's a character called, uh, well, I called him Midshipman Perryman. He appears in the uh, chapter on board the Nimrod. And it was pointed out to me by a reader that if it was a merchant vessel, he wouldn't be a midshipman. Ah, because that's a naval yeah. term, not a merchant naval term. So it was a fantastic opportunity just to tidy up those little errors and mistakes. Frankly, I never feel, oh my God, why did I write that? But then again, neither do I feel, well, that truly was a moment of inspiration, as Ray put it. But there we are. Thanks for that. I have one here from Rob Doyle. He's just finished The Chiswick Robbery, and he says, What a great story and a new insight to Inspector Hicks. I've always had a soft spot for him. What does the future hold for him? Hmm. Well, I can't really give too much away, I suppose, can I? It was a pleasure, actually, giving him his own story, The Chiswick Robbery. And I know he is lots of people's favourite character. Uh... What I was concerned about writing that story in particular was he couldn't be seen to fail. He actually, you know, although he's rather objectionable and bumptious, he did actually have to succeed in the investigation. It was tempting to make him, you know, the butt of the joke all the way through and he's such a useless detective and not solving the case at the end. But I felt the reader deserved a bit more than that and even perhaps Hicks deserved a bit more than that. As to the future... Well, yes, he'll be in the fourth novel that I'm writing now in his usual supporting role. Uh, and in fact, having said everything I've just said, the book pretty much opens with an investigation that he's part of. And yes, he does bungle it, which, uh, which leads to certain ramifications, as you can imagine. But anyway, watch this space. <laughs> well, we've also got a letter from Izzy Smith, and she says, I have a question. What will you call your podcast when you run out of letters of the alphabet? <laughs> Currently working while listening to Exhibit E, and perhaps it's the corona coaster that we're all on at the moment, but I'm finding concerns in places I least expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, Izzy, there are bigger things to worry about, I would think, at the moment. Or well, maybe not, I hope not. 
Uh, it's something we've idly spoken about, haven't we, Peter, before? Obviously, we've got 26 weeks. That's that's two years. So we've got a little while to think about it. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what we come up with. Yeah, we've got some ideas. We could we could change it and have uh, maybe casebook files or archive files oh. if we were looking at old cases, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Thinking of some other sort of policey style uh, phrases and terminology, statement or documents. Or, yeah. So there's, there's there's a few ideas there. Ian Burgess says my Bowman books are an illustrious company, and the other series I keep up with include Jeffrey Deva and Jim Butcher. Well, illustrious company indeed. Thank you for that, Ian. Yeah, I'd love to know what else you're reading at. What other authors are on your shelves? I did see this week that Arthur Conan Doyle celebrated or would have done his 160-something birthday, if he'd still been with us uh, this week. (laughs) Do you have any Sherlock Holmes on your shelves? If you're on Twitter or Facebook, why not post a picture of your Bowman books either on your bookcase or on your Kindle e-reader so I can see what else you're reading. And if you're on Twitter, hashtag it Bowman of the Yard and pop it up there so we can all compare notes. Now, finally, I have one here from Michelle who says, thank you for the free book. I love these stories. I even told my friend who is from Nottingham, England about them. Well, thanks, Michelle. That's very nice of you. I'm glad you enjoyed the Chiswick robbery. Just a reminder, all the short stories are free and you can subscribe to them at my website. It's interesting that Michelle told a friend who lived in Nottingham there. That's the key, really. Word of mouth is so important. If you read a book, not just any of mine, if you read any book, why not tell your friends? We love to have our work shared with other people. So tell your friends, post about it on Facebook and Twitter, uh, leave a review. Why not? Head on over to Amazon and leave a review of your favourite book right now and the author will thank you for it. Now, do send in your questions and comments via email. That's podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk or leave them on the Facebook page. Uh, Peter, we've added listeners this time in Singapore... Russia, the Netherlands and Denmark. Wow. So do leave us a review on whichever provider you're listening to us on. Like John, for example, who left this on Apple Podcasts, titled Gateway to Some Great Stories. He says, Being a great admirer of the author and a keen reader, I knew I'd enjoy this one. Ably assisted by his friend Peter Crouch, brackets, not that one. This podcast showcases three fine Victorian crime novels accompanied by a series of connecting short stories. Richard also reads sections from the first short story on each podcast. Very enjoyable. Well, thank you very much, John. So, yeah, always appreciated. Do leave us a review, leave us a rating, and why not share us with your friends? And now, Peter, let's hear from our sponsors. Horse exercise at home. Vigor's Horse Action Saddle, personally ordered by HRH, the Princess of Wales. The advantages of this unique substitute for horse riding are It promotes health in the same degree that horse riding does. It acts directly upon the circulation and prevents stagnation of the liver. It invigorates the system by bringing all the vital organs into inspiriting action. Particulars, testimonials and press opinions post free. 21 Baker Street, London. Paige Woodcock's Wind Pills. Good for the cure of wind on the stomach. Good for the cure of indigestion. Good for the cure of sick headache. Good for the cure of heartburn. Good for the cure of biliousness. Good for the cure of liver complaint. Paige Woodcock's Wind Pills. Good for the cure of all complaints arising from a distended state of the stomach, bowels or liver. Pots Improved Artificial Legs with Gray's Improvements. Patronised by the Marquis of Anglesey first nobility and gentry and the most eminent surgeons throughout Europe and allowed by all to be the most perfect description of artificial leg hitherto produced. Bots artificial legs. All persons wanting artificial legs should compare their merits with any others at present made. 
an experienced female provided to attend ladies. If you spot any online, then do send them in and uh, I'll include them in a future podcast. I'm also, and this is the news I was talking about earlier, going to pop them up on YouTube uh, as little short films starting this month. So do subscribe to youtube.com forward slash Richard James author and I'll be collecting all the adverts that we've done in the previous five podcasts and uh, this month's and as we roll forward, I'll collect them all together, put them into a little film each month and pop them on YouTube for you to enjoy. Now, Who's that in the cells at Bow Street, Peter? Well, I believe it's Tim Walker. Tim Walker has been writing in one form or another since leaving school. Now, his first job was a trainee reporter for a local newspaper in Liverpool. Here he learned lithographic printing, layout, news reporting, feature writing, and soon progressed to film reviewing and writing a music column. He researched and wrote a series and a booklet, The History of Walton Hall, and he now lives a less hectic life near Windsor in Berkshire, where he writes creative fiction and helps out with a local charity called Men's Matters. But for now, we've got him banged up in the cells. You're nicked. Thank you, Richard, for inviting me to your excellent podcast. My name's Tim Walker, and I'm writing an historical fiction book series called A Light in the Dark Ages. On the 1st of June, I'll be launching the latest book in the series, Arthur Rex Britonum. That's Latin for Arthur, King of the Britons. The previous book in the series won two book awards in 2019, so I'm hoping that Arthur receives the same warm welcome. I've been writing fiction since 2013 and, like many, started with short stories. I wrote about the area I lived in, its history, folklore and even current affairs, compiling two books of short stories, Thames Valley Tales and Postcards from London. I'm also writing a children's book series with my teenage daughter Kathy, The Adventures of Charlie Holmes. As the title suggests, she's a girl detective and I'm sure she could learn a lot from Bowman of the Yard. Incidentally, I've read the first book in the series and enjoyed it immensely. You can find out more about me and my books from my website, timwalkerwrites.co.uk. In the course of my research into the early Dark Ages, the 5th and 6th centuries, I became aware of the Arthurian legend and was intrigued that a number of historians actually believe in the existence of a real historical Arthur hidden behind the more fanciful legend. He is dimly remembered in the writings of early monks and chroniclers for his main achievement of uniting the Britain tribes in defiance of the slow-creeping colonisation of the Anglo-Saxons. Arthur is credited with buying the Britain tribes valuable time, as much as 10 years in fact, which they subsequently wasted um, as the Anglo-Saxons just came back stronger and eventually colonised the territory that we now know as England. But Arthur is still remembered and revered as Britain's first popular folk hero. Just to remind you that my new book, Arthur Rex Britonum, launches on the 1st of June in ebook and paperback formats available from Amazon. Although in a series it can be read as a standalone, as it is the story of Arthur, perhaps our greatest and earliest popular folk hero. Thank you very much, Richard, for having me on your podcast, 
and I wish you all the best with the Bowman of the Yard series. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, we'll let you out shortly uh, so you can continue with your work. Tim has nine titles available to download from Amazon worldwide in ebook and paperback formats. He also has uh, ebooks available from Apple Books, Kobo, Nook, and many others. So do visit timwalkerwrites.co.uk. Now, Peter, I've been thinking this week about our attitudes to the Victorians and perhaps some myths that surround them in terms of how prudish they may or may not have been. They've got a bit of a reputation, but is it true? Now, I heard lexicographer Susie Dent, who you might know from Countdown and various other TV shows on the radio recently, talking about how Victorians couldn't even bring themselves to use the word trousers. <laughs> Instead, they use such colourful euphemisms as sit-upons, round-me-houses, and even my favourite, inexpressibles. So I did a bit of digging. Now, I'm sure Susie's right in that case, but I think the idea of Victorians being particularly prudish may be more of a myth than we think. For example, we often hear how it was considered proper to cover up the legs of tables or pianos for fear of bare legs of any kind being too evocative. But in reality, this oft-repeated notion was probably just a joke and at some point managed to grow into something bigger. It seems to have come from an 1839 travelogue by a writer and officer in the British Navy called Captain Frederick Marriott. Now, it's not a name I'm familiar with, but in his book, A Diary in America, which recounts Marriott's experiences traveling through the young country, the naval officer appears to have invented the legend without even trying. The idea seems to have stemmed from an anecdote wherein a young woman that Marriott was traveling with scraped her knee while visiting Niagara Falls. And when Marriott asked if her leg was okay, she apparently, scandalized, replied that a gentleman only refers to limbs in the presence of a lady and never legs, even when talking about furniture. <laughs> How did that get around so much then? Well, I guess, you know, if he made note of it in his diary, a diary in America, I suppose that was then published. Uh, word spread slowly, you know, from small acorns, great oaks grow. And perhaps it's stories like that, even myths perhaps, that our whole idea of Victorian prudishness uh, comes from. Isn't that incredible? If you want to learn more about that and so much more, just visit atlasobscura.com, which is a really interesting website uh, with features on history, travel, news, and so much more. So do have a look, www.atlasobscura, all one word, dot com. Time please, gentlemen. Let's have all your glasses. Well, Peter, uh, I think I'm going to head on out and uh, try and find another pair of round-me-houses. Jolly good. Make sure they're not too tight. Uh, I will certainly be adjusting my inexpressibles. <coughs> Do subscribe if you like what you hear on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Leave us a nice review and rating and we'll love you forever. Uh, don't forget to hang on after the music to hear part six of my short story, The Smithfield Murder. And of course, if you have any comments or questions, please get in touch. Podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk or perhaps we'll see you on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash bowmanoftheyard. As we finish off our drinks, we'll bid you a fond farewell, and we'll see you next month. See you next month. Bye! The Smithfield Murder A short story from Bowman's Casebook by Richard James Part 6 Inspector Bowman questions the market manager, Arthur Boothby. 
The man's not worth the bother, proclaimed Arthur Boothby, his flat northern vowels all the broader in his passion. The market's better off without him. He was murdered, Mr Boothby. Bowman sounded an exasperated note, and violently at that. He stood opposite the market manager in his office, high above the trading floor. Below them, the public had at last been allowed to enter, and they flooded in as if a dam had burst. They spilled into every corner with a bustling, eager activity. The inspector had surprised Sergeant Graves with his sudden insistence that the market be opened, but Bowman was formulating a plan. In order for it to work, each butcher would have to sell his wares today, in order that another delivery would be made that night. He was pleased to see from his vantage that trading was brisk. To his left, a parade of sheep was fetching a good price at auction. To his right, Oshihi was haggling with his customer over a consignment of beef. For the Savoy, no less, remarked Boothby, joining Bowman at the window. They do their business with us and us only. They're renowned for their beef, as you may know, Inspector. Boothby knew the menu at the Savoy would be well out of reach of a detective's salary. Well, that beef comes from our market, and the commission doesn't arm neither, he winked. Did you make much progress on the floor? I did, Bowman lied. He was never one to show his hand, especially if he was lacking in the crucial cards. Mr Boothby, could you assure me you were at the Bishop's Finger last night? I can that. I went for a drink with some of the men. I go back years with O'Shee and his boy, I, and some others too. We make a point of drinking together once in a while. He narrowed his eyes. Is that a crime, Inspector? Bowman took the time to look around the office. A large ostentatious desk was set against a far wall, laden with piles and sheaves of paper. A battered leather chair stood behind, its upholstery torn and tattered. This was the only furniture, save a simple wooden chair for visitors and three sets of shelves that groaned under the weight of boxes and files stuffed to bursting with yet more paper. Windows at either side gave out to the market. As Boothby stood at the centre of the room, his eyes darting occasionally to the traders as they went about their business below, he looked to Bowman like nothing less than a spider at the centre of its web. Bowman was sure the man was alive to every quiver on every thread, perhaps with an intent just as deadly. He slammed the ledger down on the table by way of a response. Two or three papers fluttered to the floor. Boothby's eyebrows twitched in agitation. You are thorough in your bookkeeping, Mr Boothby. Bowman looked directly at the man, watching for any signs of hesitation. That I am, Inspector, Boothby sighed. He spoke slowly and deliberately, as if for the benefit of an elderly relative, there's men down there that rely upon it. You collect the rent each week. I do. Bowman nodded, leafing through the pages of the ledger until he reached the list of names he'd noticed in the bishop's finger. What does this table represent, Mr Boothby? he asked simply. Boothby snorted. Could a Scotland Yarder be so devoid of nous? That is the table of payments, Inspector. You'll see from there that every man must be paid on a Friday. And are they all up to date? They are. Boothby had folded his arms across his not insubstantial chest. Could you tell me why Solomon Hibbert ceased paying his rent in September of last year, yet you allowed him to continue at your market? The silence was palpable. Bowman felt he could reach out into the room and touch it. Arthur Boothby cleared his throat. 
Bowman knew he was buying time. Well, Inspector, I see you have the better of me. Hibbert's row in the table was originally blank from September 21st, Bowman continued. Yet you went back and filled in those spaces with another ink, which you started using in November. Boothby's eyes were darting about him. He had the demeanour of a trapped man. Why? Boothby was tight-lipped. The inspector ploughed on. He'd not paid his rent in nine weeks, Mr Boothby. In fact, I would venture that he had not paid his rent from that day to this. How could you countenance such a thing? Boothby stood swaying slowly on his feet. With a slow, deliberate movement, he loped towards his chair and flung his weight upon it. I'm a charitable man, Inspector Bowman. You're right about the rent. Hibbert hadn't paid me since September. I altered the ledger to save myself. If the other traders twigged he'd been getting his stall gratis, they'd be all over me like flies at a window. Truth be told, I was on the point of throwing him out. Enough is enough, Inspector Bowman, and Hibbert had been tweaking me by the nose for too long. He was a scoundrel and a drunk, and I let him take advantage of my better nature. Boothby tried his best to affect a pious air. I knew he was poor. He'd drunk his money away and scarcely had enough to pay his boy. Bowman knew he was lying. Mrs. Hibbert's dress and collection of trinkets, let alone the box of money beneath her hearth, spoke of a wealthier man than Boothby was painting. I dare say he owed money elsewhere, too, and it was that that got him fettled. The sudden tilt in Bowman's head was almost imperceptible. Fettled, he echoed back, raising an eyebrow. Boothby laughed. Fixed, Inspector. Sorted. It's a hang-up from the old country. I've lived in London almost thirty years, yet still undrawn to the northern way of things. Ibbert was fettled, sorted, good and proper. The men I interviewed this morning spoke of having a drink to fettle them after a day at the market. Boothby's eyes glittered in defiance. So? Why would they say such a thing? Unless they'd been schooled to say so. There was a pause, as Boothby considered what next to do. I'm a busy man, Inspector, he began, rising to his feet, as I expect you are. If you're done with your questions, I'd rather get to work. There is, after all, a market to run. Boothby gestured to the crowds out the window. Of course. Bowman placed his hat back on his head and straightened his coat about him. It was clear he'd get no more from Boothby. As he descended the steps from the manager's office, he mulled their conversation over in his mind. Boothby was hiding something. That much was certain. Why did Hibbert refuse to pay his rent, though he had money enough? How to explain where his money came from? Frustratingly, his short interview with Arthur Boothby had furnished him with more questions than answers.